Cultivated Marketer, Episode 25, Creating Authentic Voices with Brooke Estelle. We join Brooke Estelle at the Kansas City IABC Business Communicator Summit. She's with the agency Conscious Minds and tells us a little bit about how to create stories with authentic voices, as well as breaking the expectations other people have for your career and creating the path that you want for yourself. Welcome to Cultivated Marketer, where we talk marketing professional development so your garden of opportunity grows. This is Brent Bowen. And I'm Matt Tidwell. And our guest today, I'm super excited for our guest today, is a multidisciplinary creative and entrepreneur from the Midwest. As a senior copywriter at Conscious Mind Studios, her creative work focuses on bringing the stories of Black and Indigenous women of color to life through projects such as Nike's Come Through and Do More You and Nike JD Sports Makers Campaign. And Matt knows our guest a little bit too, so I understand. I have a history with our guest, Brent. <laughs> no, you know, boy, wow. One of the things I love about our show is we just get to talk to smart people who are in this marketing comms genre. And our guest today certainly fits that bill. And, and it's, it's the very multi-talented Brooke Estelle who's with us. And yeah, I know Brooke because Brooke has been a student in our, and a graduated from our master's degree program in integrated marketing communications here at the University of Kansas. We are coming to you today from IBC's terrific Business Communicators Summit, which is also at the KU Edwards campus. And Brooke was a breakout presenter today. And so you and I were in that presentation. I know we're going to talk a little bit about that, but man alive, just it's very proud uh, of Brooke and and what she's bringing to our marketing community in Kansas City. And, And her campaign was just terrific presentation and fit right in with you know, a lot of the attendees who are here at this conference. And so, so glad we could get her on with us today. So Brooke, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. And thank you, Matt, for those very, very kind words. Oh, certainly. <laughs> well deserved. He, he probably owes you those kind words, having to spend a couple of years with him, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I put up with him. Yeah, no, Matt is great. So your session today was about storytelling, but before we get into the the components of the stories you were sharing through your session, let's talk about a little bit about your career story, because there was a phrase you would use during your presentation. I told you I was kind of feeling it because Mm -hmm. you talked about being trapped in your own body and there was a story done about you within Casey Source Link. And I don't know if you know this, it was one of the top 10 stories of 2021 through Source Link (laughs) and during COVID where you really could serve as a model for a lot of professionals. Tell her, tell our listeners kind of about your career journey. You know, you were laid off, Mm -hmm. right. And then kind of found yourself. Tell, Tell our listeners a little bit about that career journey during COVID. Yeah. So this was definitely, I think for me, the realization that like, no career path is linear. Like it very much was kind of all over the place. My background, of course, is in corporate legal marketing. I did that for goodness, about seven years, I think, before kind of switching over to financial tech, kind of having been living in that corporate space. It was kind of always a struggle for me because I knew that like I really wanted to be creative. 
I really wanted to be in spaces where I was around people that looked like me and had the type of experiences that I had. And that wasn't really something that I was getting in corporate. So during the pandemic, of course, we were all working from home. We were all, you know, sort of sheltering in place. And during that time, I kind of took advantage of researching and seeing what was out there in terms of freelancing and figuring out, can I find my place in this world elsewhere? (laughs) So started kind of freelancing, really simple stuff. Like I did a rebrand for my hairstylist salon as a project just to see if I could do it. And by November, I was juggling a couple of clients. I had a legal tech client that was based in Melbourne, Australia. So I was working from like 8 a.m. to 11 p.m. to kind of make up for that time difference. And the week before Thanksgiving, we got a Zoom meeting request on a Wednesday morning and they laid off the entire department right then and there. It was our last day. We had to drop our laptops off. This was at the FinTech. This was at the the FinTech. FinTech. And those who know me, Matt might even be able to attest to this. I can be a little type A. Sometimes things stress me out and I will spiral. And it was crazy because when I got laid off, I had a moment of like stillness where I was like, okay, this might be a sign that I really should like go after it. Where it's a pandemic, I've moved back home like a lot of millennials did during that time. So I got laid off. I went downstairs calmly and called my mom and my stepdad into the room. And I was like, do you guys think you can give me like three months? Just let's just see what happens. Like, I'm going to trust myself. And I think this them being able to sort of watch kind of how my year went with, you know, seeing me get laid off to seeing me working all of these crazy hours with freelance. I think they found that confidence in me as well. So. I took three months. I started reaching out to people that I knew. I think I might have even sent Matt an email and was like, hey, I'm freelancing. If y'all know anybody that needs some support, let me know. And I really started to trust myself. And I think one of the biggest challenges came when I started to get more creative opportunities and I had to make a really, really big decision, which was to actually, quote unquote, fire one of my biggest clients mm. and it was my fin- it was my legal tech client that was based in Australia. I was working the most hours for them. I was getting paid the most money, but it was the furthest away from what I actually wanted to do with my career. So I was like, this is, this feels really reckless, but we're going to trust it. So I told them that I couldn't work for them anymore. I kid you not within a week, I got the email from conscious minds that they were looking for a freelance writer to write on a Nike women's project. I interviewed with with them on a Friday. I started with them on a Monday and I haven't left. And that was two years ago. So, And you moved on since you're no longer freelancing. Now you're working for Conscious. Yep. I'm working uh, full-time for Conscious Minds as a senior copywriter. But you had that trust in your, you had trust in yourself a couple different occasions there. It sounded like, you know, one after the FinTech pretty much dissolved and laid it, Mm -hmm. you know, laid everybody off. You said, I'm going to get, I'm going to believe in myself, trust myself. We're going to go ahead and try and do this thing. And then that's a hard thing to do. The second thing you did, a really hard thing to do, because I've had to do it twice in the last year when you have a known commodity and a check coming, Mm -hmm. but you're not aligning in values and you know, you got to fire a client, you got to fire a client. And in some cases they haven't really done anything really wrong, Mm -hmm. right? That's a, that's a hard thing to, that's a hard thing to do. It was an incredibly hard decision to make. And I think what was so great about it was I had started working with them through 
another client's, well, actually another mentor turned client, Katie Holler Bernard. She's a fire sign. I worked with her, worked under her at Lathrop Gage and Shakardi Bacon. So she's someone who's very, very instrumental in my career. But I had had that conversation with her and the client. And I just was like, you guys are incredible. And under any other circumstances, I wouldn't have left. But staying here is ultimately going to be a disservice to myself. And I think we all kind of saw during the pandemic how I think vital it was to really listen to yourself and take care of yourself Mm -hmm. and really sort of pour into ourselves the way that we hadn't done previously. And I think a lot of that is what ultimately led me to the decision to decide to you know, fire. I hate using the word fire. It sounds so yeah, terrible. It's, so, <laughs> it's such a harsh word. It is a harsh word. Um, yeah. But to finally kind of move on from those clients and open myself yeah. up to more creative projects. So Matt and I, we're, we're going to want to talk to you about the conscious minds portion of mm-hmm. your, of your work life here, but we haven't had a lot of solopreneurs or entrepreneurs really on the, on the show. So one of, one of the things I wanted to ask you about in that, in that journey is you've had, you, you mentioned a mentor, which is mm-hmm. great, but then there were also some other resources that were maybe helpful to you as part of that part of that journey. Can you speak to that? Like, how did maybe Casey SourceLink? I, I think it's an underserved mm-hmm. and underrealized. People have been to Global Entrepreneurship Week. I presented at it a couple couple different occasions. Maybe speak to the role Casey SourceLink had with you and and helping you you know, shape your business before, before going to conscious minds. Yeah. So one of the awesome things that came about from Casey source link was not only did they feature me, which was, you know, first of all, a brand new experience for me for one, but then they also provided me with a lot of resources. They connected me with people that worked in finance and how to kind of start even setting up, you know, my accounts to be a solopreneur. I mean, at the time I was like, okay, I get paid. I just, you know what I mean? Like, these are things that you don't really think about. You mean I need accounting software? (laughs) I have to pay taxes. Yes, like all of those things. I don't think people realize that those sources are literally right there. And it comes from people that genuinely want to help entrepreneurs. So that was definitely a big one. They also have marketing resources, And really just a great database for networking, which I think was really, really instrumental for me because even just being able to kind of have my story out there, I think what it especially did for me as a new entrepreneur was that it gave me like that level of credibility, right? Like, yes, I have a resume, but then it's like, here's a little shiny picture of me inside of Casey Sourcelink. So I think that that also lit itself to pushing me forward as an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's fabulous. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah that's great. Brooke, I want to ask you for a second because a lot of us make career transitions, right? And so, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, I'm an older professional, you're a younger professional, but I know I was, I had made a transition at one point and from kind of one job that one would think of as sort of safer and probably higher paying and things like that, but I wasn't really happy in it. Took another job and I was at a networking event and somebody came up to me and said, and we were, I was telling them about the new job and they said, I can see it on your face that you really love what you're doing now. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I see in you as well. So, yeah. but, but I think a lot of younger professionals, that safety mm-hmm. of working for the law firm, working in the, in the, in the industry that we've all been told is, yeah. is supposed to be where we're supposed to be, mm-hmm. you know, is hard. It's elusive to get away from that. So, so can you talk a little bit about, do, do you feel different and, and how is that kind of manifested now that you're doing something yeah. that you love? 
this is going to sound so silly, but I feel freer than I ever have in my new job. I tell people all the time when people ask me, you know, if you could have a dream job, what would your dream job be? And I would say exactly what I'm doing right now. (laughs) This is it's kind of crazy because it really came full circle for me to be able to do what I'm doing now. It's something that I've always been passionate about. But to your point of that stability, I very much grew up in a traditional home where it was no question that I was going to go to college. I value education. I think it's incredibly important. But my mom is a senior VP COO. So for me, it was kind of like corporate or like nowhere. (laughs) The idea of being a creative, and it's still funny because she still butchers my job. And I think last week she told someone I wrote podcasts for Serena Williams. So things just kind of happen. (laughs) But, you know, it's, it's been a really incredible transition but it was scary. I mean, especially for me, it was very much like I graduated from undergrad and was like, okay, I need a full-time job. I interned in Union Station. I interned with the MCC community colleges for KCMO before I even got into legal marketing. And it was really much that whole idea of stability. Like I need a full-time job. Let me figure out where I can land. And that's how I ended up at Lathrop Gage. And it did kind of open the doors to marketing as a whole. But I think one of the best things, and I tell people all the time, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing without the experience that I've had, because I've found that even though, yes, I'm a creator now and I'm doing all of these cool things and photo shoots and everything, but it's because of everything that I learned along the way that I'm able to do my job. So I don't think people should be afraid of corporate, especially like if you're into it, like go for it. (laughs) But at the same time, if you feel it in your heart that like creative is the route for you to go, like it's so many agencies out there. You don't have to be at a mega, like mega, you know, advertising agency to feel that Conscious Minds is a fairly smaller agency and we love it. So, (laughs) well, a lot of your conversation and a lot of the work you do at Conscious Minds is about is about storytelling. And you, mm-hmm. the emphasis of your talk today at the IBC's Business Communicator Summit was really about storytelling. And you and you really honed in on Gen Z and the mm-hmm. importance of, of that on Gen Z. So why is there such an emphasis on storytelling for 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 Gen Z, for folks that obviously weren't here, that yeah. weren't able to <laughs> and and only you got maybe only got a third of the audience here because you know we have breakouts. So mm-hmm. let me point out the room was full. The room was full. So <laughs> that's why you heard me hedge on a third. It could have been right. it could have been forty percent of the audience because the room was full. Why the emphasis on storytelling for Gen Z? I think the thing that people need to realize is that us millennials are starting to hit 40. Yes. So we aren't necessarily like that prime audience that's kind of buying up everything right now. It's really Gen Z is really kind of becoming that mold, especially when you're looking at like the 18 to 24 year olds. My little sister is 18. So, you know, thinking about her and her wants and needs. And I think one of the cool things that we've learned, especially as a millennial myself now working for Gen Zers is that millennials, we really came from that age of like, everything's very individualistic. We wanted things that were going to be customized to us. Gen Z is very much opposite of that. Community is so incredibly important to them. And I think 
especially sort of seeing all of the stats that came out after the pandemic, like saying that 79% of Gen Zers feel like they're lonely. Like, mm. that's horrible to hear. You know, and this is a group that really thrives off of that type of community, which is why platforms like TikTok and Instagram yeah. are so big with that group because they're able to build out and even Twitch, which is, you know, the mm -hmm. gaming platform. They're able to build out these communities with like minded individuals. And, you know, I think one of the things that that we learned through that was that at the end of the day, they want authenticity. Like those kids can sniff out when you're being fake. They can sniff out when something is just strictly product placement. And we didn't want to do that anymore. And I think the thing that we sort of found out as an organization was that just coming to them straight made such a big difference. And that's really kind of what we do across the board with a lot of our projects is that, you know, we put people in the room who mirror that audience. So even at my company, we have millennials, we have, you know, Gen Zers who are of course older and out of school and that sort of thing. So we really try to tap into our audiences in a very authentic way. Yeah, and you know, as Brooke was talking about that, Brent, I know you and I have a mutual friend, Angie Reed, and I was thinking back mm -hmm. to Angie's book that she wrote with Jeff Fromm, Marketing Gen Z, which highly recommend to listeners. And even though it's four or five, how prescient was that authenticity you know, just this aspect of not being felt like they're being sold to all the time. Mm -hmm. And some of the triggers that you were hitting on that Angie talks about in her book. So Isolate just a quick the plug there of, for- Even pre-COVID, Angie and Jeff had talked about the the notion of privacy and feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah, yep. so. Yep. And I have that book because I was in that class. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yes, right. I think Angie may have come to speak to the class, but yeah, that, that was great. But can you talk just, um, and I, I, I know you just gave an hour long presentation, but, but I think it is, it's cool to hear that because you're using, you all are using two or three different platforms in sort of an integrated way mm -hmm. with your project for Nike, obviously no small brand. Can you give us maybe just the, the couple minute synopsis of, of what those, what those platforms are? Yeah. So the first one we did was with come through and that was kind of a long form YouTube series. Right. So, and even with that, we kind of did some cross channel pollination because we had the long form series on Nike, but then we would do some cut downs and sizzles or trailers, I guess you can yeah. say some little <laughs> yeah. shorts that we would then use for our guests and our hosts to be able to post to their native Instagram channels and things like that. And it was funny because of course, YouTube is a favorite channel for a lot of young people. But after that, we really started to move into, I think Do More You was next. So we kind of got away from YouTube a little bit and started hyper-focusing on the Nike app itself. And with that program, we really wanted to tell stories. And these stories were actually more so targeted towards millennial women and older Gen Z uh, for Do More You. It was a lot about allowing people to understand that yes, Nike's a brand, but Nike still gets it. So a lot of that was spotlighting women and their holistic wellness journeys, whether that was someone who used meditation and positive affirmation in the mirror to one of our women was a mother. She talked about how she juggled, you know, motherhood with keeping up with a healthy diet, but also allowing herself the space and grace to just be a woman. And we, we talked to a woman in Chicago named Sani who gave us her incredible story about how she was a hardcore athlete, had a knee injury, and somehow during her rehabilitation process from her knee injury became like a marathon runner and she is killing it out wow. there. So a lot of it was about bringing these real stories to the Nike app to allow more women to be seen within it. Because before then it was a lot of, you know, product stories, 
stories about athletes, professional athletes, I should say. So this was a way to really humanize the brand, I think, a lot. And it was also a great opportunity to do some cross-pollination because not only were we in the Nike app, but we were also doing some parallel work within the Nike Training Club app. So if we had a story on, you know, Sandy running, we would connect it to here's a 15 minute run that you can do with the Nike Training Club. And this is how you can track. So we were not only sharing stories about real women that other women could relate to, but then we were also giving them the tools to allow them to try those things for themselves. And has that been pretty consistent? You've seen, obviously, there's an influencer component to that. Mm -hmm. You spoke spoke to that in your your presentation and the notion of the the transition of the influencer, you talked about the transition in mindset mm-hmm. from millennial to Gen Z is I think correspondingly, you've seen a transition of influencer from the celebrity. I've done celebrity mm-hmm. events in the past yeah. to now the notion of micro influence or more authentic influencers, yeah. right? If it was that part of the part of the, how was that part of the thinking in these campaigns? Um, yeah. So I think that was absolutely at the forefront of our minds, especially when we were doing the JD sports Nike makers program. I think the big thing with that program that makes it work so well is that we were building communities. So for example, what we would do is that we would look for these sort of sub communities within our greater, you know, so we would say, I think for our fall and holiday season, for example, we decided to focus on young women of color who love to roller skate, which sounds like the most random thing in the world, but we were able to create authentic content with young women who would wear their, you know, Nike needed now from JD sports looks and they would try out a new skate move and then we would connect it to another TikToker. So what we essentially were doing was com- creating these communities without really announcing that we were creating these communities. And then I think that's what really kind of makes that program work because these people are already hitting their audiences We tell them, make content that is native to your channel, that's authentic to you, how you move, how you speak, and everything else will follow. And it's an inspiration to other, you see me smiling, people can't, (laughs) people outside this conversation can't see me smiling and nearly laughing. This was exactly the conversation. My wife must have been watching these videos (laughs) because she said, I see all these people, younger people roller skating and I so want to do this now and I said now we thought this through completely (laughs) (laughs) in a source of inspiration to many many people on the roller skating and you know a lot of the things with the roller skating is one of the reasons we wanted to focus on it was because it was such a big trend that came about during the pandemic and a lot of young women discovered roller skating even for the first time and it's become kind of this new outlet for like self-expression especially because it's slightly different from dance here on eight wheels, you know, but it, it was so well received that JD sports put some of our photos up in their times square store, which was incredible. And yes, a highlight of my career. Thank yes. you. Yeah. You got an ovation um, when that was, yeah, yeah that, that was, that cool. was a, a full team effort. We were so proud to see it. And I think the biggest reward from that was seeing melody who was our maker that was featured in that Times Square shot because she is a native New Yorker and she's the one who stumbled upon it. We didn't even, we didn't even know. And she like messaged us on Instagram screaming that her face was in Times Square. And you know, that became, I think another big part of this program was that TikTok has a tendency just with their algorithm to kind of suppress makers of color in their content. So one of the things that we wanted to do 
was to be able to hook them up with these types of brand partnerships and then help them by boosting their content. So it's it's been, I think, a treat for everybody involved. So. No, it's very, very cool. Yeah. You know, Brooke, we can't let you out of here without <laughs> talking a little bit about the focus of our show, which is professional yeah. development for, for young pros. You're a person who made the conscious decision to make a significant investment in professional development, right? There, people can, can, and we've talked about it all the time, right? There are various ways to develop yourself mm-hmm. professionally. It can be very simple. Going to a few monthly meetings for an AMA or a PRSA or an mm-hmm. IBC, that kind of thing, all the way up into and including getting an advanced degree in your field. Mm-hmm. So you made that conscious choice, why? And then secondly, and, and then what, and has the ROI been there? But then secondly, you know, just advice to younger folks who are thinking, should I really write that check Mm -hmm. at any of those levels? Mm -hmm. And, you know, isn't it easier just to watch a webinar or maybe just get stuff as it's coming to me across the ether? Mm -hmm. So if you could talk a bit about that. Yeah. So for me, I would say it was it's funny because the first I think the first thing that came to mind was me getting a master's was how am I going to get a promotion, especially because I worked in corporate and I was like, if I'm going to climb the ladder and climb it fast. I need to get a master's degree. (laughs) That was really the root of it. But then once I got into the IMC program, I think one of the biggest takeaways, and I mean, I think Matt can attest to this. I actually was vocal in his class and I'm typically not that talkative, but I found myself being able to fully relate a lot of what I was learning immediately into what I was doing every single day. And it ultimately would make everything better. I would leave class and go to work the next day. I think it was actually, I took one of Matt's classes in, it might've been a social media or a digital marketing class. And the next day I went to work and I was like, Shook doesn't have a Twitter. We need a Twitter. (laughs) And I started the first social media program that Shook ever had. And it came from this. And I think for me, especially looking back, because I will say there were points in my career where I was like, I, did I did I need to go get my master's? And then the quick answer is for me was yes, because I don't think I would have been able to make the conscious decisions the way that I did without all of the knowledge that I had, because I've now kind of put myself in a pretty nice, sweet spot where, Lord, you know, God forbid something happen at Conscious Minds. I have a whole background in corporate marketing. If I ever needed to lean on that again, I have a master's in integrated marketing comms. But I say, I think the road is different for everybody. Sure. And, and I really think that young people especially should really take the time out to think about what their overall goal is, regardless of how big and crazy it sounds. Eight-year-old me wanted to be making photo shoots for Vogue and now I'm doing it for Nike. So I'm making, I think, both my mom and my dad very proud. <laughs> you know, but I, I really think that you should really just take the time to like think about exactly what you want and carve your own path because there's really, like I said at the beginning of this conversation, there's really no linear path to get to where you want. So I say, try things out. I don't know if Matt knows this, but I had started a master's program before I even met with you about IMC and quit that program to do this one because I was like, I don't want an MBA. I don't need it. This, you know, better suits my needs for what I want. So I, I think, I think you should really trust your gut. 
Yeah. And yeah. It's an interesting conversation. And Brent, you know, I've talked to some about this as well. You know, what we're seeing now with younger professionals is frankly more of a reluctance to invest in professional development, mm-hmm. right? So memberships are down in organizations like IABC and PRSA mm-hmm. and AMA, whereas 20 years ago, you'd see a ton of young professionals there. Yeah. And we're trying to kind of get to the bottom of that. And I was in a meeting where somebody said, well, it's because younger professionals don't want professional development. I said, I don't believe that at all. I said, we're seeing full enrollments in these mm-hmm. master's degree programs. I think that there may be more of an emphasis on choice. And to your point, everybody has a different path mm-hmm. rather than trying to force feed people into yeah. a specific lane that, you know, you have to be a member of an organization. Yeah. Now, I'm on the board of IBC. Obviously, <laughs> we want lots of members yeah. in IBC, and there's something to be offered there. But I do think there's, I, I love what you said about the different path, because I think choice is very, very yeah. important. Yeah. And, I, and I mean, I, and I also think too, some of those organizations lack that variety. Like I yeah. think sometimes they look at their key audience as still being this Slow to change. type of people, you know what I yeah. mean? And Slow it's like change. the market is changing rapidly. Executives are changing rapidly. The way that marketers look and think and talk. I mean, three years ago, I was having to wear uncomfortable heels and slacks. And today I presented in leather baggy jeans and sneakers. So, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with that too, of kind of recognizing and seeing that change and kind of being part of it versus resistant to it. Yeah. I think that choice, and like you said, the the opportunities and paths are so, there's such a variety now and such volume of options now that I think some of those traditional walkways don't have to be the way expressed. I think the way, and again, not that I'm necessarily going to be the one at, you know, near 50 to sign up for an IMC program, although I could, 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 maybe the first instructor slash (laughs) student is it, have you had our, our good, our good friend, uh, Jeff Slutsky, right? He graduated at 63 years old. Jeff did it, but I, I go, I go back to the conversation we had with Catherine Lawrenson some time ago, and it's like a program like IMC gives you that diversity of skills, areas of expertise, all in short order, mm-hmm. as, yeah. as opposed to having to spend 20 years in a career to, to learn all those skills, you're able to almost take it like a vitamin. It's like a series of vitamins totally. yeah. that you yeah. can take as opposed to having to having to eat for 20 years to figure all that, all that stuff out. So this conversation has been great from, and I, I think the conversation around you know, career journey and professional development, broad brushstrokes and like classical train, you know, the schooling and training's been great. What I'm kind of curious about too with you is because you're working in such a visual medium, mm-hmm. what technical skills are you bringing to the job every day? Like what out of your toolkit mm-hmm. are you bringing out of your job? And this may be the question I'm asking because I have a undergraduate student that's at the University of Kansas that doesn't mm-hmm. want to do a particular thing in the journalism <laughs> yeah. school. And I keep telling him because he is a videographer and yeah. he's like, I hate to write, Dad. I hate to write. But I'm I'm like, you need to get through it. It's a concrete skill. I don't care. I don't care. So um, what what skill, what technical skills are you you breaking out every day? It's hilarious because you took the words out of my mouth. <laughs> um, I'm leading the witness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think writing is the biggest one, but I mean, I majored in English at KU. So I, didn't know that. I was a writer by trade. I think I think that one first and foremost is like the biggest one. I think critical thinking is two, but also the ability to kind of like step back and ask questions. I think that's very undervalued mm-hmm. as a tool, especially as a young professional. It's easy to just kind of like 
get your marking marching orders and just kind of do it without saying like, well, wait, is there a way to do this better? Or what context am I doing this in? Exactly. Right? <laughs> like to be able to understand, I think is a really, really big thing. And I think that's something that has helped me in my current job, especially looking back at sort of skills that I acquired through, you know, working in corporate. I tell people all the time, I won't say which one, but I worked for a law firm and one of their clients was Nike. Oh. Um, <laughs> full circle. So it, it, it came full circle for me. And I think that was one of the things that kind of worked in my favor a little bit because I can now understand our client from a business perspective, but also from a creative standpoint. So I think having that sort of flexibility too. Yeah. Understanding both sides of the coin there mm -hmm. is super, super important. Thank you for, so I'll, I'll cut out that clip and send it straight <laughs> to my 20 year old yes. on the, on the writing. Yeah. We were talking yeah. about log lines and even, even the skill of being able to write a good question. Mm -hmm. Right. So yes. yeah. 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 And even yeah. that came down to like really understanding the story, like with doing everything for come through, for example, which is Nike's first long form series. One of the big things that we would do, prior to shooting was set up what we called insight calls. So we would essentially do preliminary interviews with our guests just to be able to come up with the questions that we would want to be asked on the show. So that was something that we found that was really important, but then also understanding the power of a narrative, right? Cause we would get an hour, hour and a half video of raw footage be like okay now we need to tell this story in 13 minutes <laughs> and really understanding how to craft a true story start to finish very cool very yeah, cool i'll, I'll cut that clip out and and send it to him so <laughs> brooke thanks so much for joining us this has just yeah. been great so glad to see your career take off the way it's going and congrats on the visual of Times square and just the, <laughs> the great work you're doing across those many digital platforms i know we're definitely going to subscribe because I want to see where that continues to go for you. So thanks again for your time today. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. This was fun. If you found value in today's episode, check us out on our website, cultivatedmarketer.com. You'll also be able to subscribe to us, rate us, and leave us a comment on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Remember, a garden of opportunity grows with Cultivated Marketer. <laughs>